We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. I'm really excited because um, today we get to kick off a brand new message series called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And um, every Easter, I really pray and ask the Lord, um, because I believe that Easter, leading up to Easter, is a very important season. A lot of people celebrate in different ways and um, prepare their hearts in different ways leading up to Easter. Uh, a lot of people, you know, participate in Lent, and if you grew up Catholic like I did, you understand, you know, what that is for a season of 40 days. You kind of break away from some things, and and you really get your heart in tune with, with God's heart. And so I believe that this message series, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, I really pray that it impacts us in a way that um, we hope uh, God's heart gets into us for people. And as you... Wow, Siri's just trying to help me preach. Can you just be quiet? <laughs> anyway, um, back to the message. Uh, as we are... are going through this series each week, we're going to take a look at um, several different gospel accounts of, of Jesus interacting with people and people's lives being radically changed, radically transformed. And as we do that, we're going to bring you some testimonies of people that are sitting among you right here today. And at the end of the, my message today, you're going to get to hear an amazing testimony of, of lives that were transformed because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Amen? So today we're going to get into... Um, Probably one of my favorite stories in the gospel in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there to Luke chapter 7, verse, we're going to start in verse 29. And uh, I'm going to read to you. If you don't have your Bibles, it's fine. We're going to have the scriptures for you up on the screen. I'm going to read to you out of the New Living Translation. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? Yeah. All right, let's get into it. And when they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. Now, every once in a while while I'm reading you a passage of Scripture, um, I'll let you know if I think there's an important uh, Scripture verse that you need to highlight, that you need to underline, something that I believe that has significance. If you could see my Bible, it's, it's full of highlights. It's full of different notes. And this is one of those verses, verse 30. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. Now, right off the bat, between verse 29 and verse 30, you see this dichotomy taking place, that when the people, the tax collectors, the sinners, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. And then Jesus starts to teach them and say this, To what can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't weep. You ever know somebody who was never satisfied no matter what you did? You never could make them happy. Nothing was ever right. And when you, when you did something, they said, well, you should have done it like this. Jesus is speaking right into this pharisaical heart that nothing was good enough for them. And he goes on to say this, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, speaking of himself, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard. 
a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. In other words, wisdom is proved right by the fruit of my ministry. Wisdom is proved right by the lives that are being touched, changed, affected by what we do. And then he goes on to tell this story, and this is kind of the crux of, of what we're going to spend some time into today. The title of this passage is Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. I love Jesus. I kind of relate to Jesus. I'll never turn down an invitation to eat with somebody. Uh, I, first of all, I love food and I love people. So, and, and Jesus, anytime, this is something that we need to understand and know about Jesus and that I love about Jesus. Anytime he's invited, he's going to join you. That's why we always invite him in to our service, invite him in to our worship, invite him in to the time that we partake in the preaching of the word. We want to invite him in, and he always comes when he's invited. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Be careful what you think. <laughs> Jesus knows what you're thinking even right now, so get off Candy Crush and pay attention. And Jesus, uh, knowing his thoughts, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. I love that Jesus is the author of cancel culture. Amen. He canceled the sins and the debts of everybody he met. And when do you suppose, and then he asked him the question, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, after thinking about it, I'm sure, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil on my head, anointed or to anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Then the men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that as we read your word, that we're not just reading a good story,
but we can encounter you in your word. We can put ourselves in the place and we can put ourselves in the story. And so today, God, as we read your word and as we read the account of this amazing historical occurrence, Father, I pray that, that your word would deeply penetrate our hearts, that it would change us. Do me a favor. Would you just put your hand on your heart? I pray right now for every single person, God, that you would open their heart to receive exactly what you have for them today. I pray that your word would be like a seed that would be deeply implanted in their spirit, that it would be watered through the Holy Spirit, that it would bring forth life and fruit and the thing that you had planned for. God, we know that no word of yours will return void. So God, I pray that today that your word would have the intended effect that you um, desire for it and that we would leave here not the same people but we would leave here changed transformed by the power of your word in Jesus mighty name now can you do me a favor can we pray for our nation together Father God, we lift up the United States of America. We give you this great nation. Father God, we pray once again that you would sweep over this great nation. May the wind of your Holy Spirit bring revival. Father God, I pray and I, we ask as your church for forgiveness, for turning our, our ways uh, toward, away from you and not turning towards you. God, we repent. We ask that you would bring healing to our land. And God, that you would forgive our sins. God, that you would restore this nation, one nation, under God, back to you, God. Father God, we lift up President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. God, we pray that you would, that if they don't know you, God, that they would come to saving grace and knowledge of you. God, we pray that you surround them with godly men and women. And God, that we would influence them, that would um, bring good counsel to them, God, as they lead our country. Father, we pray for your hand to be upon this country. We pray for the church. We pray that you would revive your church, awaken your church in this hour, God, so that we can be your hands and feet and we can be friends of sinners. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said... Amen, amen, amen. How many of you ever had a friend in your life that you just didn't deserve? <laughs> like they were just such a good friend um, that they just showed you such kindness, such grace, um, such love that you didn't deserve it. And that friendship, those friendships I think are rare, but I think that God uses them in our life for a purpose and a reason. And I had one of those friendships in my life that, that marked me and that God used to change me, to open up my heart. When I read this story, I, I read about this incredible encounter that this woman had with this man, Jesus, that marked her, that changed her life, that transformed her forever. Now, now we don't know a lot about this woman, except the fact that she was a sinful woman. Most people believe that she was actually a prostitute. And, um, and she barges in to this uninvited, to this uh, dinner party of Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, for those of you who may not be familiar with some of the biblical terminology, a Pharisee was, was the highest level of priesthood. It was the religious leaders of the day. These were not only religious leaders, but they were actually governmental leaders, unlike our democracy of today, where there's separation of church and state. There was no separation of church and state in Jewish culture. The, the priests were the governors. They were the ones that were also the, the politicians of the day. And so these men had a lot of power. These were holy men. These were men that were leading the church uh, of, of God and were supposed to be representing God to the people. 
They were supposed to be administering justice of God to the people. But somehow, even the name Pharisee, one of the meanings of the name Pharisee is to separate. And what we see is Jesus shows up in the middle of this, this religious culture that for 400 years, the voice of God has been silent. And, and people have forgotten what God looks like. They've forgotten the heart of God because these religious leaders ha have started to rule over people and actually burden people with more and more rules. They actually, there's some, I don't know, 630 something rules and regulations that they put on top of people on top of the Ten Commandments. And they're putting these, these burdens on people to where, I don't know about you, but I'd be freaked out if I lived that I'm going to do something wrong. Because there's so many rules and you got to follow these things. And, and if you don't follow them exactly the right way, you're considered unrighteous. You're considered unholy. And especially if you were the type of woman like this woman is, where she was a broken woman, a prostitute, sold, selling herself continually for, for money and living this, this, this lifestyle that, that was just completely looked down upon, that she was looked upon in that culture as literally like trash. Not only was she a woman, which already in that culture just already separated her a little bit, but not, she wasn't just a woman, she was a prostitute. She was the lowest of the lows. And these men, you see this, this, this picture, this scene, where this woman just shows up uninvited and unannounced, and, and if I have to admit, this is a little awkward. This is like one of the most awkward scenes in the New Testament as Jesus shows up to have dinner at this Pharisee's house and these are, these are righteous holy men and I'm sure they, they, they're wearing their robes and they have their tassels and they have their prayer tassels to show how, how holy and righteous and how much they pray are and they're having this lavish dinner and, and Jesus is, is the guest and, and it even makes you wonder, why is Jesus the guest? Why is he there? These Pharisees were constantly coming at Jesus. And, and the fact that um, what was normally tradition back in that day, Jewish custom, that, that, that as you wore sandals, and inevitably, inevitably throughout the day, your feet get dirty, they get dusty. Um, as you would come into a dinner like this, what would be customary is there would be a servant and the very first thing as you entered the house and walked into the door is they would have a servant wash your feet, take your sandals, wash your feet, dry your feet, put your sandals back on. The very next thing that they would do is after that happened, the guest, uh, the, the host rather, um, which would be Simon the Pharisee in this case, would come to you and kiss you on both cheeks. That's why I love my man Gary Hall. If you ever want a good kiss on the cheek, you got to go find my, my man Gary Hall. Love him. Hey, he's holding to Jewish tradition, people. I'm glad there's men that, that feel comfortable enough to be able to do that to you. Greet you with a holy kiss. And they would kiss you on both cheeks, and then they would anoint you with oil, symbolizing gladness and joy, that you can relax and sit down and enjoy the meal and be at peace and, and it would be a pleasant experience to you. And the mere fact that the Pharisee doesn't do any of those things shows us where his heart is. And his heart is not really to invite Jesus in, that really what he's looking to do is he's looking to find fault in Jesus. He, he, they're, they're trying to figure out this man. They're trying to understand. They're trying to get in his head, if you will, and figure out who this Jesus really is because they, they don't understand it. He shows up. And he eats with sinners. 
He hangs out with tax collectors, which are considered, you know, these terrible people, like mobsters. They've, they've made their allegiance with Rome, and, and they pilfer money, and they're, they're terrible. They're enemies of, of Jewish people. And yet, these are the people that Jesus was hanging out with. And you see this dichotomy, and, and Jesus becomes, to, in their eyes, he, he's around these people, and he's, he's loved them enough where obviously he starts to get this reputation among the religious people that this man is a friend of sinners. <gasps> How dare he? How could it be that, that this man has befriended people that are broken, the lowest of the low, the down and out, the people that we have intentionally separated ourselves from because we, we dare not go around them or even touch them or let them touch us because in that culture, if you lived a sinful life as this woman did, you were considered unholy and unclean. And actually, if, if you let them touch you or you touch them, they had to go through this whole ceremonial cleansing process just to be able to do their religious duties all over again. And they are just appalled that, that this woman would come in and Jesus would allow her to touch him and to do what he's doing. And yet there's something about this man, Jesus, that makes this woman feel safe enough. Think about this for a minute. This woman, she could have literally got thrown in jail for doing what she did, but she's in such a state of desperation, such a state of hopelessness, and yet at the same time, there's something inside of her that realizes that if I can just get to the feet of Jesus, that somehow he's going to be my friend, that somehow he's not going to reject me, but he's going to accept me. He's going to love me. He's going to extend grace to me. Maybe this woman, and we don't know much about this woman, but maybe it's because this woman had been watching Jesus in the crowd. There were crowds constantly around this man, Jesus, and maybe she watched him as, as lepers who were, who were riddled and unclean cried out to him for mercy. David, son of David, have mercy on me. And while the disciples said, no, 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 you don't have to worry about them. Shut up. Be quiet. Go away. We're separating ourselves. We got to get to church. We got holy things to do. We can't afford to mess around with you kind of people. But Jesus said, no, 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 wait. I hear somebody calling me. I hear somebody calling me. And he stops for the one along the way. And he heals them. Maybe she was in the crowd when she, she witnessed that. Maybe she was there when Jesus was preaching. And he said, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened with sin and the yoke on your back, you've been carrying this burden. He said, if you just come to me and you, I would take that burden of sin and brokenness off of you and I would, I would give you my burden, my yoke, which is light. It's easy. Maybe she was there in the crowd when she heard him preach that. I don't know what it is, but there was something about this man that drove this woman to fall at his feet. I had, a, I had a, a friend once. I was 19 years old, and I was a pretty broken young man. I, my, my parents got divorced real early, and my dad moved out of state a couple hours away, got remarried, started his, his own life. And, um, you know, my dad and I, we have a great relationship now, but, but I didn't really know my father back then. And... Um, 
it felt like I was going to a stranger's house and, and he was trying, he really was, he was trying to develop a relationship with me. But inside me, what it does as a, as a, young, as a young person, you don't understand why your father doesn't want you. Um, you don't understand why your parents aren't together. There's, you feel rejected. You, you, it puts this wound inside of you that of insecurity and, um, and rejection and lack of self-worth. Like, why don't you want me? And as a young person, you don't understand all of those things and what you're feeling. But I live with this, and, and you, you inevitably try to overcompensate because I want to be accepted and I want to be loved and I want to feel like I have value. You'll do whatever you need to do to have those feelings. And so in high school, you know, I was, I was the class clown, king of the party, played on the football team, did whatever I could to, to get accepted and love and, and feel and be in the in crowd. And I, I, I went to extreme measures to make sure that, I, that that was my life. And then I graduated high school and I had no plan. I had no vision for my life. And I was pretty lost. I was confused. I was sinking into to depression. And my father started going to this Baptist church and I started going with him just because he wanted me to. And uh, they had, you know, Bible study before the actual service, kind of like this. Um, and, and I went to a Bible study for the youth group, the young people. And I, and I went, there was this really pretty blonde girl there that uh, I really liked. And so it made me want to keep coming back. And hey, God will use whatever it takes, man. <laughs> so if you're a young person, yeah, hey, even if you come for the wrong motivation, God will, God will use it to change your heart. And, um, and I started coming. And I'll never forget one day after school, uh, this is when you didn't have cell phones, and the phone rang, and my stepmother said, hey, Pastor Mark, the youth pastor at the time, is on the phone for you. And I'm like, all of a sudden, my mind starts racing, and I start, I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to think, oh my gosh, what did I do? I must have done something wrong. He found me out. He knows I'm there because I want to I wanna date this girl, and he's calling to chew me out. And so I answer the phone very sheepishly, and he says, hey, it's Pastor Mark. Hope you're doing well, and doing well. And he's, and he's like, hey, um, you know, God just put you on my heart, me and a good friend of mine, um, Mark, who's a Christian counselor, and we just wanted to reach out to you to see if you wanted to go out to lunch with us. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, awesome. All right, let's do it. So I say yes, but I have no idea what I'm getting into. My stomach was in knots all week until I go to lunch with these two guys. And, and at lunch, you know, in the beginning, you, you do small talk thing. And but at the back of my mind, I'm, I'm wondering, why am I here? And what, what is it that I did wrong? And finally, we get down to the nitty gritty. And um, one of them says, well, I bet you're wondering why you're here. I'm like, yes, thank you. Please tell me, what did I do wrong? And they say, they said to me, they looked me in the eye and said, we just see something in you. And God puts you on our heart and we want to help you. And we could see that you're really struggling with some things. And I'm sitting there and I'm fighting back tears. And I'm thinking, is it that obvious? <laughs> you know, that I'm that broken and, and everything. But, but something inside of me said, no, this is scary as all get out. But it's going to be good. You need to do it. And, and the other one, Mark, he said, he said, yeah, he said, I just want to meet with you. And I want to help you any way you can. And so we set up a time for me to meet with him. And, and I go to this first meeting. And I think he's going to do some psychoanalyzation, shrink thing on me. And I show up, and, um, 
And he comes out of his office, and, I, and I'm standing up to go in his office. He's like, hey, come on. I got to go run some errands. Want to come with me? And I'm like, okay. So he takes me out, and he's got this brand new Mitsubishi Eclipse RSX turbocharged, literally brand new, electric blue, six-speed turbo, every 19-year-old's dream. Okay, it was a cool car back then. Humor me, all right? And, um, and so... We get in the car and, you know, we're driving and we're just talking and, um, and then he's like, hey, do you want to drive? And I'm like, are you serious right now? You s <laughs> I'm like, you serious, Clark? And, um, and he's like, yeah, I'm serious. And so he pulls the car over and he lets me get in and drive the car. And of course, I am really trying not to grind the gears or anything like that. And I'm kind of taking it real easy. And he's like, go on, get on it. You know, see what it's got. And so I get on it a little bit. But I'm like, I'm just, Lord, please just help me not to crash this car. And so I get on a little bit. We drive and then I pull back over. He switches seats and um, we're driving a little bit further and we're in conversation at one point in the conversation he turns and looks at me dead in the eye and he says I love you and all of a sudden like something inside of me I feel these walls starting to go up and I feel this well of emotion inside of me building up and, and tears like literally right there and I'm squeezing my eyes trying not to cry and I won't look at he told me to look at me and I literally I cannot look in his face I can't do it I can't do it because I know that if I look into his eyes and if I actually feel and I see in his eyes that he really loves me, that I'm just going to absolutely break and I'm going to lose it right here in the car. And so I, I cannot look at this guy. I keep just looking out the window and he says, all right, you may not be able to look at me right now, but I want you to know that I love you. And inside I'm thinking, how in the world can you love me? You don't even know me. And you're showing me much love and you don't even really know who I am. You don't know my, my sin. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know how jacked up I am. You don't know the thoughts that are going on through my head. How in the world can you love me? But yet, somehow, the way that he looked at me, the way that he treated me, he showed me so much love. And over time, I actually got to a point where I, I was able to look him in the eye when he told me that. And, and God began to use this. See, I wasn't saved at this time. I didn't know God. I didn't know God's heart. I thought God was mad at me. I thought God was disappointed in me. I thought there was no way in hell that God could accept someone like me. With all my brokenness, all my sin, everything that I've done and who, who I was inside, if you only knew me, there's no way you could really love me. And yet this man showed me so much love. That's why the title of my message is Much Love. Jesus, this woman shows up, this prostitute, this, this absolute, just she's hysterical, she's a mess. I don't think you really understand. Like, this isn't just crying, this is ugly crying. Come on, women, you know what I'm talking about. This is where mascara is all down your face. This is snot coming out. This is not a pretty scene. Come on, we're trying to eat dinner here, people. And this lady shows up, and she's got so much uh, something coming out of her, enough to clean his dirty feet. Okay, now, now to be able to really understand this, you have to understand Jewish culture. It's not like today, where we sit at a table, and your feet, the dirt stays under the table. 
See, in our culture, we're good at that. And see, this, this is, this is part, of, part of starting to understand the difference between the Pharisees and this woman, where, where Pharisees, we don't want to see that. We, we want to be separated from that. We don't want to see the dirt. So we have tables where we don't see people's feet. In Jewish culture, they, they had low tables. So you would lean on your side and your feet would stick out. Now, picture this. There, everybody, if everybody's doing this, inevitably, somebody's got somebody's dirty feet in their face. That is not an appetizing dinner scenario, people. But this is the scene. Could you imagine trying to have conversation while this woman is ugly, crying, literally pouring out her heart to Jesus, and not, not just ugly crying, but there's, there's a point where she goes from ugly crying. And so you see, she has this encounter with Jesus, and this is where it begins. This is where it begins for us. There, there's encounters that we have with God, and this is, this is one of them. This is the first place where it starts. We have to have an encounter at Jesus' feet. At Jesus' feet is the place of forgiveness. Jesus' feet is the place where this woman knows that she has to go. Now, now look at the Bible says that she didn't, she had enough courage to come in to do what she did, but she didn't have enough courage to look Jesus in the face. The Bible says that she stood behind him. She was behind him the whole time. What, what that tells you and me is there's this dichotomy. Now you have, think about this scene. You have the Pharisees on, on one side of the room. You have Jesus over here and this woman standing behind Jesus pouring her heart out, just worshiping Jesus, repenting. See, this is the point where she is so filled with guilt and remorse and condemnation that she's overwhelmed with emotion, that she's literally pouring it all out on Jesus' feet. And these Pharisees are sitting there like, if he was a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is. And they're murmuring amongst themselves, how, how did she get here? See, you have to understand something, that, that even though these men were holy because of things they didn't do, they, they wrongly misunderstood. They thought they were holy because of what they didn't do. And Jesus is constantly challenging that it's not just what you don't do, it's what you don't, it's not what you don't do, it's what you do. It's your attitudes, it's your actions of the heart. It's what's inside here that really matters. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, sees and the ugliness in his heart. And in that moment, there's just as much ugliness and brokenness in Simon as there is in this woman, but he's oblivious to it. Somehow he doesn't even see his need. That, that, that the presence of God is in the very room and this woman is at his feet, but I don't need to be at his feet. Why is that? They had gotten into this wrong thinking that somehow holiness comes by subtraction. In other words, don't do this, don't do that, and you're holy. Don't do this, don't do that, and, and you're holy. And, and somehow they, they forgot that it's not just what you don't do, but it's what you do do that makes you holy. And, and what they didn't do is they didn't represent the heart of God to people. And so people got into this religious mindset of following rules and then they completely lost touch of God's heart for them. God's heart, Jesus, she found God's heart at Jesus' feet.
His feet is the place where we receive forgiveness from the penalty of sin. From the penalty of sin. And here's the problem. We can allow, like, I'm amazed that this woman actually comes in this room and does what she does. That somehow the shackles of shame don't hold her back to coming to Jesus' feet. And this is the problem for a lot of us. Just like today in worship, when Pastor Josh called some of us up, we can be, we can be either, you have the, the Pharisees over here who are held back by pride, or you could be so ridden down with guilt and condemnation that you're shackled by shame. Either one of them can keep you from coming to Jesus' feet. But if we don't come to Jesus' feet, we miss out on one of the greatest blessings in life. That's the place of repentance. That's where our heart gets softened. That's where the tears flow freely. That's where God does a work through his forgiveness. See, the place at his feet. Someday, now this is me projecting, but someday she would not just be weeping at his feet, but she would be looking up at his feet from the cross. And she would be looking at the blood coming down on his feet, which would be shed for her to remove the penalty of her sin so that she could be free to pursue a relationship with him. You see, that's the whole reason that Jesus came. It's to open up a new and living way. But some of us, we are so shackled by shame that it keeps us from coming to Jesus' feet. There, there's a book called The Scarlet Letter in 1850. Um, there was this man who wrote this book called The Scarlet Letter. Maybe you're familiar with it. In that book, there's this, um, there's this lady, the main character, and um, I forget her name right now, but she had committed adultery. She's a young woman that committed adultery. And, and as part of her penance, her penalty, is she gets a, a A for adultery pinned on her dress and she has to walk around every day. She has to wear this letter and everybody in the town knows that she's an adulteress. I think for a lot of us, one, two, or three failures, sins, events in our life, they mark us. They mark us with shame and some of us, we never get past that shame to come to Jesus with it. And, and even in the church, whether it keeps you from coming to Jesus or we can so easily look at other people and we could put letters on them, A for adultery, D for divorce, P for pervert, you name it, D for drug addict, and we don't even realize it, but we start to judge people who are not like us. And in the way, we separate ourselves from the very people that Jesus came to save. Jesus said, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. I came to be a friend of sinners. And the church, let me tell you, we've got to wake up for this. I just, I just got back from speaking at a men's retreat. And man, I was just, I was wrecked. There's this exercise that we did at the retreat where they gave out um, pieces of paper with questions and you had to check boxes. And some of the questions were like, I've always felt that something was, was different or wrong about me. Um, I always felt like I haven't fit in. I have turned to drugs or alcohol to ease the pain in my life. I have committed adultery. Um, I have been unfaithful. Um, I, have, um, I have dabbled in pornography. All these different things. Um, 
I have felt like less than a man. There's all these questions. And you had to check the boxes that you, you've associated with, and then you fold them up and you put them in this basket. And they collected them all. And then they did something that, that shocked me a little and surprised me a little bit. It was, was awesome. They then took them, they, they mixed them all up, and they passed it back out. And each man, it went back around, and they grabbed one out, and they opened it up, and they looked at the answers that were checked off. And then um, the man who was leading it, he, he read off each of those things, and he asked the man, if, if your box, if there's a box checked on your paper, I want you to stand up. Let me tell you, when I saw the amount of men standing in that room for some of those things, some of the questions, have you thought about taking your life? Are you, are you addicted to, do you feel hopeless? And two-thirds of the room of men standing up. And we don't even realize we could be in a room like this. And we don't even realize that there's people sitting all around us that we could go to work tomorrow. And we don't even realize that there's, there's men and women around us. We could go to our homes and we're comfortable and we're good. See, here's the problem. I think that too many times in the Christian life, we get so comfortable in the grace and the goodness of God and we start taking it for granted that we never, we stop coming back to the feet of Jesus. You see, the reason why I had you highlight in, in verse 40 that the difference between those who receive the baptism of John and the Pharisees who refuse to receive the baptism of John, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. And the Pharisees refused to repent. They refuse to recognize that there's something wrong with me. I have this, this, this sickness called sin. And I have secrets, and my secrets are keeping me sick. And unless I'm, I'm, I'm baptized into repentance. See, what it did is it, is it softened people's hearts. The Bible says that God used John the Baptist to pave the way to make the way for Jesus. It prepared the way for Jesus and for the gospel message of good news. But the Pharisees refused to be baptized by John. At one point, John says, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. I thought that was interesting because here in, this, in the very room where, where, they, where they were having dinner, there was a woman who knew who Jesus was, yet there was a Pharisee who didn't know who Jesus was, and yet there was one standing right among him who was ready to baptize him, not only with water, but baptizing him with the Holy Spirit to pour his liquid love into his heart so that it would melt his hardened heart so that he would have the capacity to love like Jesus. And if we're not careful, we could get stuck at the feet of Jesus. And this is a problem for a lot of us. See, 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 we never get rid of the shame. We never allow the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus to free us enough that we can actually get past that place of, of keep coming to back. Some of us, we've gotten, we've gotten forgiven enough to be saved, but not enough to be changed. See, we need to keep coming back to his feet. But the whole reason Jesus forgives us is so that we can have this face-to-face -face relationship with him. So we can't stay there at his feet. His feet, the place, the encounter at his feet has got to move us to seek his face. It's got to move me to a face-to-face -face relationship with God. And that face-to-face -face relationship with God, that's where the pattern of sin is broken. At his feet, 
I realize the penalty of sin. I've been freed from the penalty of sin. And I'm now free to have this real relationship with God. But the reality is, is if you lived any amount of time, you realize that even though I'm freed from the penalty of sin, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but there's something still wrong. I still have a desire to sin. There's something like my flesh is still with me. I still get pulled into my old way of life. I'm still stuck in this pattern in Romans 12 too. It says, don't be conformed to what? The pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. So just like when, when God freed his people, Israel, in Exodus, he freed them in a moment. We get saved in a moment. This woman, this was her salvation experience. She got saved at the feet of Jesus. But that whole experience is to move us into a face-to-face -face relationship with him. And that's where the, in that face-to-face, -face, in that daily seeking his face, the Bible says that in the beginning was the word of God and the word was with God and the word was God. Do you realize that every time that we read the word of God, my Bible says the word of God is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. That when I read the Bible, I am reading the face of God. Jesus came to remind us what God looks like. He doesn't, and he constantly rebuked the Pharisees because trying to tell people, that's not how my father is. I want to show you what the father looks like. And the father looks like a friend of sinners. I'm a friend of the broken. I'm a friend of those who are weak. I'm a friend of those who are poor. I'm a friend of those lepers, those outcasts, the down and out. If anyone is weary, tired, come to me. I'll give you rest. He was constantly inviting people in. While the Pharisees were writing people off, Jesus was writing people in. He was writing their names in the book of life. While, while the Pharisees were trying to shoo women like this out the door, Jesus was opening the door to grace and love and inviting, oh, come in, come in. I've got so much love for you. You have no idea. And somehow we, we go on with our lives and we forget how much love Jesus poured out on the cross for you and for me. And it's that love that when we understand that love, like this woman was so enamored with the love of Jesus. She was so ashamed of her sin. She had to stand behind Jesus, but there's one point where Jesus turns and looks her in the face. And he's letting her know, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. I love you just the way you are. You are free. You're forgiven. But we have to understand that it's in that face-to-face -face relationship daily as I see God. That's why I'm so glad you're here. That's why I'm so glad those of you that are watching online right now, because every time we encounter his word, every time we worship him, we're seeking his face. We're seeking his face daily, and it's in the seeking of his face that we're changed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says this, and this is when the veil of sin comes down at his feet. Now it frees me to be able to look him in the eye with full confidence. It says, but when anyone, someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just like there was freedom in that room that that woman walked into. It says, all of us who have had that veil removed. We can see, reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him, and we are changed into His glorious image. See, more and more, progressively, as I seek His face, daily, seek His face, moment by moment, I am gradually changed, and over time, the pattern of sin is broken in my life. 
Which leads me to the best place, the place that God wants to lead us into, and that is his friendship. See, at his feet, we receive forgiveness from the penalty of sin, which frees us to have a face-to-face -face relationship with God. But even in that, in the beginning, he's my master, and I'm following Jesus but after following him, and this is a process, after following him for a period of time and seeing, seeking his face over years and years and years, at some point, he wants to move us into a friendship to where he becomes my friend. And no longer am I just following behind him and watching what he does, but now I've walked with him and sought his face enough that I know his heart, and his heart becomes my heart. The things that matter to him matter to me. And I am changed. And I, I am not just freed from the penalty of sin and forgiven from the penalty of sin and, and free from the pattern of sin. And when I become a friend of Jesus, I understand that I am free from the power of sin in my life. That it's just like Paul says in Romans 6. Sin is no longer your master. For you have been free from the power of sin. And we start to understand that I don't have to sin anymore. Actually, because he's my friend, I don't want to sin anymore. My desire changes because my relationship changes with God. Now, the things that matter to him, they matter to me. And, and the people that he loves, I love. And I got, a, I got a heart. Not only is God a friend of sinners, but now I can become a friend of sinner because I'm a friend of God. And I've got his heart. And this is how we're changed. And this is how the power of sin is broken. Not only as we encounter him at his feet, but as we seek his face and as we become his friend. And then the church becomes a friend of sinners. And no longer is it just God, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Christ in me. And then when I see those men stand up, I see the brokenness. It's not just them that's being broken. It's me that's being broken. There's something in me that my heart aches and burns. And I want to be, I want to have that ministry of reconciliation. And I want you guys to watch this as we wrap up. We've got an amazing testimony and story of a, a woman who's experienced exactly what I've seen, the forgiveness of God at his feet, a relationship with his face to become a friend. I was selling drugs in 2009 and uh, I lost my children. Their dads got full custody of them because I was um, drugging really hard and uh, selling drugs. I was making drug trips to Washington. I was cooking meth. I was uh, in several situations where I probably shouldn't even be alive. I grew up in a little town called Knoxon. It is in Sanders County outside of Plains and uh, my mom was a believer. I remember going to church with my mom and I just know that uh, God has been pursuing me ever since I was a little girl. I don't know where everything started to go really bad except things just started to go bad. <laughs> Went into high school, uh, started drinking when I was 13. I uh, lost my virginity when I was 13 and became promiscuous. I remember one point I was sitting on a hillside
scoping out another drug dealer's house, uh, ready to go bust in the doors and take them down and take all their drugs and all their money. Like, it was crazy. It was insane. Like, I literally was, I was ready to steal a gallon or a, like a big, huge barrel of anhydrous, which is used to make methamphetamine, and bring it back to Kalispell and sell it. Uh, I was ready to go to Mexico and get kilos of methamphetamine and bring them back to the valley. Like, I was sick. And when I got arrested, I was in Walmart on a Sunday morning, Valentine's Day, 2010. It was a day that saved my life because I probably wouldn't have made it much longer. Uh, my mom was really sick when I got locked up. And uh, these are just a couple of letters that I just found that I had written to myself uh, when I was in jail. Today is 79 days in jail, and I think it's finally sinking in my school that drugs and a drug life are getting me nowhere. I feel alone, so alone, yet I know there is God, Jesus, but it's still so lonely. Today I grabbed a ton of spiritual books. I'm going to read more and apply myself more to the things I read. I want a relationship with God. I want my, des my desires and urges to use drugs to go away and never come back. I want to be a living testimony that I don't have to do meth again. I want to believe in myself and know that I'm worthy of living a good, healthy life. I pray all these things to you, God. My girls, I miss so much. I pray to God to keep them strong and heal their hearts for the damage I have caused. I pray they have strong genes and don't fall in the path where their mom has traveled. I love you so much, girls. I dream of holding you in my arms. Hugging and kissing you. We'll be together again, I promise. Like, this is like the dark, darkest moment for me is losing my kids and putting my family through hell. My mom passed away when I was in prison and I had to say my goodbyes to her over the phone. There's just so much hurt in these letters and I just found them and uh, there's more and there's so much more. And when I was in jail, God was me God met me. He met me and he has continued meeting me. And um, a verse that I always had to tell myself was creating me a clean heart, oh Lord, and renew a stead flesh spirit in me. Because I was so angry. I was so mad and I couldn't take a look at myself. It was everybody else's fault. Everything that happened to me was everybody else's fault. And um, I was just an angry person. I'm learning through the things of like Living Waters and my connect groups and plugging in and holding myself accountable. And when I do mess up to confess and to speak things out to people that truly love me, um, this is where my healing is. And my healing is every single day. This is not an easy thing for me. and. I sit in the back row of the church now. I used to sit in the front because someone said, sit in the front if you want more of Jesus. And so I crawled myself to the front, but now I sit in the back row because I'm looking for the next broken person that's coming into our church. I'm looking for someone that's crying and I want to meet the new person. I know lots of people in my church and they're my friends and they're my family, but I'm looking for that lonely person that was me when I walked into that church in 2015, broken and uh, I was picked up by Mary Larson and Renee, 
Uh, they didn't even know me, and I was a cry. I was crying my eyeballs out, and they came and lifted me up, and they showed me what a good friend is. God's God's grace for me has been. Uh, it's it's been a gentle grace and uh, he continues to love me as I am uh, I know that I'm a daughter of the great kingdom I know that he is like he's just pursuing after me and it's uh, it's been wonderful to watch because there's like there's just no judgment like he just keeps calling me he keeps pursuing after me I love that come on give it up that's so good. And come on, as we close our service today, I love ending with that scripture, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And that word steadfast, it means a faithful spirit. It means a spirit that keeps coming back. So we, we don't get a, we get a clean heart, but we get dirty again, don't we? We need to keep coming back to Jesus, keep repenting, because the Holy Spirit puts his finger on things in our heart. It's how we're changed. And I love David's heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. So I want to pray for you as we close, and, and maybe there's some of you here. Maybe you can relate to Scarlett's story. Maybe you can relate to the story that we read today. I, I don't know. Maybe there's just something not right in you. You've known it all your life that something's missing. That's probably the best way to describe when I was 19 and God sovereignly came into my life. There was just something missing and I knew it. Something wasn't right. I tried to clean up my act on my own and to come and make myself presentable to Jesus. And no matter what I tried to do, it just didn't work. The only way you're going to get to that place as if you just throw your feet, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. I just want to offer an invitation to you if you're here today and you want to experience the forgiveness and the love and the grace of God. You can do that. You can make a decision today to become a Christian, to surrender your life to Jesus. And so I'd love to pray for you. I want to ask that you just close your eyes and just this atmosphere of prayer as we close. Maybe you're watching online. If you're here today and you say, yeah, Pastor Lance, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I want to experience that depth of forgiveness. I want to experience that love. I want to experience that grace. Just slip your hand up right now. Just slip it up. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you in the back. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. Maybe there's some of you watching online. If that's you, would you just put in the comment section? I believe. I want us to pray this prayer together. Will you pray with me out loud? Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he came to be my friend, to forgive me my sin. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I came to earth and lived a sinful life, sinless life and went to the cross as me, for me, 
forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. We're going to worship to this one last song, but I just want to pray for the rest of us. Do me a favor. Again, put your hand on your heart because I believe that as we go into this message series, that God is going to and wants to do something in our hearts, that we get the heart of God for people around us in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our, in our place of work right here in our church. So Father, right now, we pray, God, create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us, God, that we would have your heart, God, that we would live outside of ourselves and that we would live in friendship with you, God, seeking your face. God, and that your heart would become our heart, God, that our heart would break for those around us in our community, God, that we would be friends of sinners, God, because you're a friend of sinners. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.